namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa udang dhammang sangang namasami Chitters Monastery, Rains Retreat this year. It's one of these particular occasions, and all the Buddhist images and Pali language and all these particularities. It's always bear in mind that uh, beneath all the specialness and the uniqueness and the cultural forms, we're looking at. Buddha's pointing to something very universal in human beings, universal potential in human beings, and all of the the terms and the systems that we use. Always keep bearing them in mind to not get lost in the systems, but to be using these systems to meet the human experience not to replace it with some kind of jargon or special uh, scenarios, but to really meet human experience at a fundamental level. Yeah. So, so a lot of the forms here are just to help us to get more, more down to earth, more um, focused, more steady, more meeting more accurately what's arising for us. As we recognize in our every moment experience, a lot of stuff is just arising, sensations, feelings, thoughts, perceptions, hopes and irritations kind of cascading through. It's difficult to really get track on it because it's just so quite blurring. Internal and external impulses, responsibilities. You know, actually, how do you meet this stuff? Well, you know, you realize we're starting to somehow simplify and steady things in order to meet it, but that's not a judgment, a value judgment, it's just a pragmatic appraisal of what's suitable and necessary. Yeah. And then we're often with times we're really dealing with the basic, what we got born with, really. You know, the Buddha's uh, first sermon, he says, you know, this is this uh, experience aging birth, aging, sickness, death, the five, what are called the five aggregates, that's the way that the mind or awareness constructs reality through consciousness and perceptions, forms, feelings, and so forth. This is what you have as a kind of fundamental setup. You don't really need choice in the matter. Whatever your personal inclinations are, you still have you know, birth, aging, sickness, death, um, you know, and uh, these systems of constructing reality called the aggregates. 
We always perceive things in terms, experience things in terms of forms, in terms of qualities of pleasure or pain, physical or mental, perceptions, interpretations, meanings of things. We recognize things, we're able to label and know things, and experience things in this way. And then we have these impulses and determinations that shape things up, you know, give us directions, sankharas, programs. And consciousness, that is, we all experience a sense of, you know, things pouring in through the eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, body and the mind, you know. So, you know, that is always there as, the, as the, uh, what, what our reality is being constructed by, constructed around. So, you know, you don't really have any choice in the matter, that's what you've got. <laughs> So, in practice, it's just kind of trying to meet this experience. You know, though the, sometimes the terms can seem esoteric or remote, you know, you just get used to it because that, when you're learning to look at things in that way, is helpful. It helps to dissolve a lot of the other structures we create about um, nationality, personality, astrology, gender, um, you know, archetypes, just the more. You know, it's a very quite a simple analysis compared with the other analysis that we can we can uh, frame our life up around. Whether I'm a you know Capricorn Jew with um, you know psychological tendencies, it's just like yeah. But basically, you you've know, got the five aggregates and birth, aging, sickness, death. Um, you know, so that's pretty universal. But then, really trying to meet it. Learning to to meet it, you know. Somehow, in all this, there's uh, which all this is uh, uh, something very profound and uh, enhancing and valuing can be experienced in what we already have, if it's if it's met, if it's handled skillfully, correctly, wisely, compassionately. Yeah. So it's not really you know about a system. Those systems and techniques can help get us to be more clear and focused. It's really just about this direct, direct experience, directly experiencing things as they are. This is helpful because a lot of the time we're finding, well, I can't meditate because I'm too tired. I can't meditate because I'm too busy. I can't meditate because I'm too... Sick, can't meditate because you know. So eventually, what happens is your your avenue for your you know focus of spiritual practice gets so small because there's so many things you can't be spiritual about (laughs) because you're too tired, too sick, too old, too young, too busy, too impulsive, too (laughs) to do it. No, no, that isn't it. All that is what you have to meet: being feeling sick, feeling depressed feeling uninspired, all that is what you have to meet. It's not that there's some kind of lovely, oceanic, calm, rapturous experience that that's the little slot that you can practice in because it isn't going to happen. <laughs> it's about meeting sickness and frustration and feeling a bit disappointed and uh, confused. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the experiences that we have, yeah. Probably all of us have these, you know, in any week we'll experience those, a sense of 
bereavement, you know, the sense of low energy, uh, worry, being busy, uh, feeling disappointed, you know, these kinds of experiences, as well as sickness. Yeah, and but you see, around all those experiences, you can kind of get this this closure or this twitch. Oh well, I just have to, you know, where we get flummoxed, we start to get reactive or depressed or panic one way or another. And that's exactly the place where you practice, because yeah. what you begin to witness in that is not that these that there's something that can be removed from that, which is this compulsive reactivity, <clears throat> or call it clinging or feeding on, that is getting stuck with. <clears throat> the whole process of meeting things directly, the marvellous quality about it is when you really do feel the feeling of uh, sickness or feel the, you know, really be with that experience of, of sadness as it actually is without trying to get over it, change it, you know, be disappointed that one feels that way, but just there it is, it's happening. That it, it, the something is released. The, 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 basically what's called the dukkha, that is the piece of suffering that can be released, which is this internal agitation, defensiveness, blaming, uh, depression, all that, that can disappear. Yeah, that can be released. And then we just allow the feelings, the movements of the mind to pass through. So sometimes in, in, a, in our practice, sometimes there's these situations you just have to be with what you're experiencing are the most potent for helping us to, to recognize this isn't really about so much about me doing a whole lot of interesting esoteric t- stuff to get enlightened. This is about me learning to modestly and with humility meet the experience I'm having of floundering or feeling one way or another. You know, it's right there that we could recognize something very profound. Yeah. Release and freedom in this experience as it is through meeting it directly. So it gives us a much wider scope for Dhamma practice. These things are innate, the innate qualities of human experience. Because when we become, be a bit more just direct with experience, you also uh, notice there are, there are uh, what are called spiritual, innate spirituality that every human being has, just like they have eyes, ears, nose, tongue. They have what are called five spiritual faculties apart from the five external sense bases. And the faculty of pleasure, pain, the faculty of happiness and unhappiness. The faculties of spiritual faculties are absolutely normal. They're innate. They're not something you have to concoct. And in fact, if this was not the case, there would be no ripening, maturation, no release. Because if you had to create something, it would be like pedalling a bike without having one. It would be like jumping on a horse, getting your saddle and riding whip and jumping in the thin air with no horse. 
You know, there's got to be something there, you know, innately in our human experience that that we can rely upon, that we can rest in, that we can touch into. Yeah. Now, it's not to say that they don't have to be developed, because there, there's the uh, the, uh, the subtlety of it. It's not that you have to create anything, but it's not that you don't have to do any work either. But you, you, in your directness of experience, you begin to come back into something much more fundamental, even than your personality, or your nationality, or your psychological type. Something much more universal. And these are called spiritual faculties. So it's through that, you know, meeting experience at a deep, direct level that we that these spiritual faculties come alive uh, that we already have. And uh, so this is what um, faith or confidence, first um, energy, ability to apply, make an application. Um, Mindfulness, the ability to steady and bear something in mind long enough to really get a good reflection of it, see what's happening. Discernment, the ability to assess and recognize the difference between pain, pleasure, what, what's skillful, what's unskillful, cause and effect, long-term results, a kind of assessing capacity we have. And samadhi, which is a, a, an experience of deepening, a deepening experience of opening into a reality or experience that is um, beneath thought or beneath sense contact. Can we say a mystical experience? Experience of gnosis or mystical experience. Now these may seem sometimes remote because we don't necessarily access them. You know? But they're all potentially there. And sometimes these kind of happen almost um, by themselves. People have these mystical experiences. They drop into some in-depth experience of oneness or uh, you know, suddenly their, their thinking stops or their personality seems to disappear and there's some sense of wonder, grace, amazement, samadhi, cons- whatever you want to call it, rapture. These things happen to people. Yeah. And in what you're beginning to recognize through the systems of the Buddha's presenting, if we use them skillfully, is that these innate faculties can be accessed more constantly and more consciously and more fluently. Yeah. It's not that they're not there, but they've got to be accessed. Because a lot of the time what happens is we deflect to our personality or external situ- uh, scenarios in order to not have to meet directly things like pain, sorrow, frustration, disappointment, you know, well, switch on something, I don't have to meet that, or drop one of these, take one of these, I don't have to do that, or, uh, well, shrug it off, I don't want to know that, you know, or block, block awareness of that, it's embarrassing, I don't want to be notice that. You know, oh, well, she doesn't count, dismiss her, you know, he's one of those. These the experiences we have, whereby, instead of meeting things like uncertainty, discomfort, whatever, we, we block it or we wriggle away. You know? So you can notice this is a, a kind of a pretty uh, a telltale sign in your mind. You know? 
You know, when you hear something or see something or see someone or feel something in your body and your mind sort of shuffles, twitches or resists or reacts, jumps up. And you, you know, oh, it doesn't really matter. You know, oh, she's one of those. Oh, oh, I can't be bothered with this. Oh, it's somebody else's job. Oh, well, you know, you know, when you something, you, what's that? What's happening? You know? And what's happening is that we're not, we don't want to meet that experience. So we come up with this instinctive avoidance or impulse to be somewhere else happens. Your mind shrugs it off and jumps into something else. So this is this kind of twitching quality that um, we experience. It's amazing, a very, very fundamental thing, you know, amazing how um, even things like dying and death, which is the most normal, natural, obvious, everyday experience, is something that people, you know, don't want to feel very, don't know about, discomforted by. Yeah, this is of course more almost more inevitable than birth. I mean, you may not get born, but you're certainly going to die. <laughs> yeah, the whole kind of social thing is also about you know screening off the things that we socially find distasteful. You know, the kind of more gruesome aspects of bodily life. The fragility of our existence, vulnerability of it, our insecurities, our needs, our dependencies. So it's a lot of it's just around. You realize a lot of the mental activity of the mind is just this habit of uh, not really meeting its hunger, its fear, its uh, neediness, its defensiveness. So you know we we can't when we contemplate or consider just bearing in mind these other innate qualities we have, the spiritual qualities, then. This is where you get the, the path arises out of that. How does faith, how does a sense of confidence, how does a sense of aspiration, trust, meet, disappointment, pain? You know? When we meet that with a sense of confidence, we start to just, instead of reacting, closing down, there must be something in this that is enlightening. That's a good way to look at it. There must be something in this that this discomfort, uncomfortable experience that will teach me something about compassion, which I think is a very fundamental thing that occurs when you experience pain. You realize somebody else has experienced this, is experiencing this, and will experience this right now. You know? So we, you know, think when you're with pain or you see people in pain a lot, or you're in that, you, this, this sign comes home, you realize we're all brothers and sisters in this you know so suddenly the, the strange thing is that when you experience it that way a lot of that tension around 
something's going wrong, it shouldn't be this way, why me? Disappears, why not me, you know? <laughs> you know, the me sense, when that dissolves, when that's relinquished, along with the relinquishing of that, is the relinquishing of that agitation, the suffering of it. So you see how to meeting, you know, instead of denying or flinching or, you know, feeling depressed, you just meet the feelings of pain, sickness, feeling not very good and so forth. What arises is clarity, compassion, equanimity, patience. Things that really support the mind, hold it steady. You find yourself being coming calm through that. Actually, quite a lot of our life, seems to me, isn't really about doing things, although it's part of it, but a lot of it's just about having things happen. You know? and then keeping aware of that. What things happen to us. Can we meet them? Quality of... of energy or virya is a recognition that uh, as long as we're alive we naturally incline towards something or another there's an energy that applies itself generally to getting what we want to uh, having more pleasant experiences to having more fulfilling experiences that's the basic trend of it and to shunt uh, to shut off or get away from disappointing, boring, unpleasant experiences, frustrating experiences. You know, so it's kind of fundamentally it's geared up to pleasure pain. Yeah. That's, so that resource is doing that. You can recognize in doing that it's going to be pretty busy all the time um, and not actually achieving long-term results in the, in the fact that uh, one doesn't, one can't actually achieve an unbroken sense of pleasure, nor can one adequately fend off pain and disappointment. They keep breaking in. <laughs> so when we use that, that a sense of application, we say, well, okay, that's that's fine, but instead of that, why don't you apply it to what's skillful, doing more of that, and turning away from what's unskillful. Yeah, so that same says instead of applying oneself to pleasure and turning away from pain, let's apply ourselves to what's helpful, skillful. So we might think like generosity is skillful, um, sense restraint is skillful, um, compassion and sharing is skillful. Mm-hmm. And how do you know they're skillful? Because you feel brighter, you feel uplifted, it has a good internal effect, has a good external effect. Other people seem to benefit from it and you benefit from yourself. Whereas my pleasure doesn't necessarily do you any good. Sometimes my pleasure can be at your displeasure. That's the price. So skillful unites us. And the unskillful causes division, fragmentation, and so forth. And you begin to recognize that actually skillful has its own degree of pleasure, a feeling of confidence, well-being, love, concern, 
self-respect, respect for others, morality, suddenly you find, oh, there's a new source of pleasure. Sati, mindfulness, is the quality that uh, stays steady with things, bears something in mind, keeps keeps coming back to it, the point. Hmm. So this, uh, of course, is, is highly um, frequently talked about as a key to meditation. It is, it's, you know, it's the development, that is really what meditation means. It means you, instead of just having momentary bearing something in mind momentarily you bear it in mind for a long time you keep referring back to the feeling in your body keep referring back to breathing in and breathing out you keep referring back to stillness you keep referring back to peacefulness Um, you keep referring back to being clear you know you keep certain themes in mind you keep them there as the flow of experiences passes through so you're just keeping that constant gearing of the mind in certain themes so um, you can look at meditation techniques like that, but um, one very helpful you know, set of, of resolves or frames of reference that we make is towards um, peace, towards calm, towards truth, towards just understanding, and towards relinquishment. So when you Whatever you're doing, you look at it in that way. Is this something where I'm being truthful? Is it a sense of really accurate? Is it leading towards more agitation or less? Is it leading to letting go of something unnecessary, relinquishing? Is it leading to, um, to um, in, the, in, the, in these, these directions towards peacefulness? So whatever you're meditating or not, you still keep those, those frames of reference in mind. You bear them in mind. So this is very helpful when you're dealing with with arguments and struggles and controversies. Just wait a minute, what's happening? What is, you know, in any, particularly in uh, in, uh, views and opinions, controversies about views and opinions, often what we're dealing with is just ideas, principles, um, what we've heard, what we surmise, what we imagine, what we hope for. Yeah, I think, well, actually, where's the real truth in that? The truth in that is I'm getting agitated (laughs) or I'm getting forceful or I'm being dismissive or I'm holding on to a particular attitude or angle. That's that's the real point. And, you know, where, where is the place where views, controversies, rights and wrongs, don't cause me to get agitated or defensive or, or dogmatic. You know, that's an interesting view. They could see it that way. Yeah. All views have something true about them, some degree, and otherwise it wouldn't be possible to see things in that way. But with truth, we recognize that any, any view whatsoever can only be partial. It's always coming through t- one set of eyes. Yeah. So it just helps to, to, to be mindful of what occurs when we doctrinal, doc, you know, views, political views, sociological views. 
And what's this doing to me? Discernment is, is follows is follows through from that. Without mindfulness, there's no real possibility for assessment because you don't bear anything in mind long enough to really get any results. And the result of wisdom is is a deepening. We we come out of the struggle with our thoughts, with our externals, into some sense of stillness because the, we've resolved. We we are not struggling, we're not fighting, we're not holding on. So something that releases and, if you like, the, our, our centre, our consciousness drops or moves, shifts to a different level where thoughts quieten down, the tensions and movements of the mind still, the sense of stillness. And these are, so these are innate experiences. The point of these, and the Buddha said, with these five when, you're, when they're held together and balanced, merge in the deathless, or the undying, the uncreated, the unborn, the undying. So there's a, a doorway through meeting our experience to something that is, well, mysterious. Who knows what that is? You know, Deathless, enigmatic. And yet that enigmatic kind of inviting, shimmering idea or concept or word or realization experience is lying just on the other side of the door of what's happening now. And it's just how we get our hand on the handle of the door. So we're not admiring the door, (laughs) denying the door, (laughs) trying to not use a handle, say who needs handles, who needs techniques anyway, you know. It's all there, it's only an inch away. Yeah, it is only an inch away, but what about that That handle's there for a good reason, you know. Uh, and doing the work of what it is to turn it and open it, moving through. So yeah, it's just on the other side of the door, but there is a door. Yeah. And there is something that we have the capacity to do that, to open that. This is really makes it all very interesting. And uh, as the Buddha says, wide open is the door. Door to the death is, is wide open for those who can bring forth their faith, their confidence, their sense of this seemingly trivial or boring or frustrating experience. If I actually meet it, right there, there's an opening to the deathless. I mean that. Which I think is... Uh, Pretty cool, really. <laughs> Since quite a lot of my life is boring and frustrating. <laughs> it's a good opportunity to work with it. <laughs> so instead of that sense of, you know, when is the, when is the great moment going to happen? When is the big hit? When is the, the final resolution? When it's all clear and wonderful and perfect? So, no, just the kind of ordinariness of experience that we're having. Mm-hmm. Ordinary, and yet there is an extraordinary uh, using of that. How do you handle the body? How do you handle your lifespan? How do you handle 
you know, relationships, how do you handle duties and functions, how do you handle these very common human experiences. Mm. Now you can take it right down to even something very simple and, and fundamental and here and now as a universe as a thought. A lot of times our thoughts are not going along nice clear lines towards towards dazzling conclusions. They're just drifting around like bats in the dark or snowflakes or you know, just floating around. Probably less purposeful than bats in the dark because you don't know what they're doing. Which is kind of whirling of inconsequential stuff. Some of it powered with uh, agitation of various kinds. You know, I don't want this stuff. <laughs> you know, stupid, boring thoughts, inconsequential thoughts, uh, trivial or, or disgusting thoughts. You know. uh, meditation, you know, just let's try to meet one thought. You turn, turn the mind to meet a thought. Not to get rid of it, not to get involved with it, just to see if you can almost turn the light on the phenomenon of thought. Deliberately think something. Turn, as you do so, make a full conscious attempt to look at the thought as a phenomenon, as something that begins, moves, ends. When I do that for a start, a lot of my thinking stops altogether, which is interesting. Because it it indicates that a lot of my discursive, unconnected thought is just a function of the mind not being directly turned towards meeting the here and now. So it's going off into the it's being left to swing. So you just hold your mind and turn it towards thinking. Quite a lot of your thinking probably will stop altogether. Then the ones that remain, you begin to recognize, well, that thought has got the, there's an emotional flavor with that. A grudge or craving or something of this nature. And you start to learn something else about it. Then if you look really clearly, you try to find the beginning of the thought and the end of it. Again, it, so it winds down. It doesn't really have a beginning. It has a sort of a thing shape up and then things dissolve, dis, dis, dissolve or you know, dissipate. They crystallize and they dissipate. So something has no real beginning and no real end. Um, hasn't got much of a stand on reality, does it? So if it's not something that's substantially real, nor is it substantially yours, is it? Why is it a problem? Why is it so mesmerising? Because we don't meet it clearly. So quite a bit of meditation practice can be just around doing something as simple as that, meeting a thought, meeting a feeling, a physical feeling. 
You know, when you normally feelings are just getting on my nerves, I've got this pain in my leg, it's driving me crazy. I don't know what I'm supposed to do about it. What did I do wrong to get this pain in my leg? You know, the feeling itself isn't trying to do anything. It's not trying to drive you crazy. There's no particular motivation. It's just happily going its own way, feeling things. <laughs> so that sense of um, frustration and, and uh, uh, you know, anxiety around it, and there it is, a feeling is doing what feeling does. <clears throat> so in you continue with you know, physical feeling that you can't do anything about, so when you're sick or hurt, this meditation practice is just about opening the mind to investigate and receive feeling with as least agitation, just lessening the agitation. So we become, in this way, the the proactive nature of us of our parent self shifts to being something that's more humble and open receptive we no longer got whole lots of trajectories and plans of things we've got to do we realize you're already doing it you are already in the experience of feeling thought perception form it's already happening and you just learn from this there's something amazing that can be learned from this something amazing that can be learned from this what can be learned from this is not so much a, a, an idea or a plan or metaphysics or an ideology, but what can we learn from this is a place of balance. A place of balance which doesn't resist, doesn't hold on, does not engender the normal compulsions and agitations. A place of balance that is peaceful. It doesn't deny agitation or pain and yet it is open, peaceful this also is directly available and if we touch into that is there anything that we could not bear if it's not if the thing if with having nothing that we don't we, we're unable to bear what else do we need you know? So it's a kind of calming and cooling, a refuge place in our lives. It's innately present. Problem is that a lot of our mental activities are not. They're just uh, streaming away from it. Time, place, structures that we create are secondary. You know, just notice how a lot of our uh, mental energy isn't really even about uh, pleasure or pain. It's about structuring. It's about tomorrow, yesterday, him, her, those. He's one of that. I'm one of these. I belong to this. This is mine. That's yours. Structuring. Time, place, location. You start to look around. You know. Seeing the kind of reactions and interpretations one makes around, this is my place. Or, He's one of those, or you know, this, that, and the other. 
you know, the way we do this kind of structuring of our lives. You know, where does that go? It always limits us to the the momentary specific thing that had to be held up and supported and created. But you begin to when you begin to recognise that all of the designations one makes about time, place, people, yourself, if they're met, clearly the underlying qualities of agitation or confusion can be dispelled and there's something within this very specific forms that arise as something universally calming and opening that's available for us. Anyone?